Hello and welcome to the first Centuries of Sound radio podcast. At centuriesofsound.com, I'm making soundscape mixes of every year of recorded sound from 1853 to the present day. To support my work and keep the site ad-free, please come along to patreon.com slash centuriesofsound where you can get a host of bonus content for just $5 per month. This is the first Centuries of Sound radio podcast, recorded in October 2018 and co-hosted by Sean Spencer. Hello and welcome to Centuries of Sound. I'm James. And I'm Sean. This is the show where we travel through time to explore the history of sound. So when we talk about the history of sound, James, what exactly do you mean? We're going to actually hear original sounds from different years. You might be familiar with uh, the reconstructions on the radio or the TV about World War One, for example, but you may have heard nothing as far as original sounds or vision from that time goes. We're going to use the real original recordings of uh, years in history to see what life was like in that year and uh, get an audio picture of that year. Mm. And how far back can we go with this, uh, James? Surprisingly far. So today mm. we're st- this is our first show, so we're starting right at the beginning and we're going to explore the beginnings of recorded sound. So... What were these early recordings like? When we're talking about the very first recordings, um, Alexander Graham Bell, etc. What are we hearing? Well, let's let's go back. Let's go back way further than that. Further let's than go that. back all the way to the beginning of sound. Mm. When was when was the first sound? <laughs> I'm going to go 1860s. Well, I mean, we had sounds before that, surely. Ah, oh. I mean, the, the first sound. Oh, actual sounds. Ah, oh. the first sound, not the first recorded oh, sound. First sounds. Oh, early evolution, surely. I guess sounds have been around forever, mm. or since the Big Bang. It's a certain frequency of waves, isn't it? That's the, mm. the, the idea of sound is that it's the particular wavelength that vibrates our eardrums. So you could say as soon as there were animals who had eardrums to vibrate, that sound existed. Those waves, they stick around for a little bit, but not very long, usually. The sound that I'm making right now. I'm speaking into a microphone. That sound is going on to a computer. It's being sent to a station where it's being broadcast and it's coming out of another speaker and it's going to your ear. So it's that kind of process is what makes it into a sound. That that waveform could be around otherwise, but would we call it a sound? It's just one of the many things that surround it. If there's no ear to hear it, is it really a sound? Um, Maybe not. It's the old philosophical question, isn't it? Mm. So when we were first recording sounds, what did we use? Obviously, we didn't use a computer. Um, what was the... Well, the idea of recording sound, we could say it was it was around, first of all, in the early part of the Victorian era, mm. um, just after Victoria had come to the throne, actually. It was, wasn't a hugely popular idea. It wasn't something that people talked about uh, a lot. But um, we're going to explore the first the first person who was really trying to capture sound or do something with sound. Mm -hmm. Now, you might think that means that he was, uh, because it was a he, he was trying to make recordings of music Mm. or culture or famous voices. But uh, we're still way before that, I'm afraid. (laughs) Uh, That's that's something we're going to have to talk about a bit later. Um, This is a, a scientist, essentially, and a scientist in France. We're going to start with, and uh, I don't know, Sean. Are you good at uh, are you good at speaking French? Uh, hardly anything apart from sous le pont d'Avignon. It's about probably about as good as I can get. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. well, fair enough. Um, so uh, this is a, this guy. I, I'm pronouncing his name like this: Edward Leon Scott de Martinville. That's probably as good as approximation as any, I think. Uh, okay, so Edward Edward Leon Scott de Martinville. He was a French printer and bookseller and uh, he was fascinated by the human voice and the vibrations of the human voice uh, he could feel i mean as, as you can feel now if you're talking you put your hand on your voice box you can feel the vibration mm-hmm. there um, so he, he knew there were waves being made and he could feel if you put a piece of paper in front of your mouth you can feel the vibrations on that so he look, was looking into experiments of how he could represent that in some form he how he could capture it which is a small digression um do, do you know marconi 
Um, I'm no, I'm afraid I don't. With Marconi, Marconi is is often credited as the inventor of the radio, mm-hmm. and um, although the the truth is a lot more complicated, unfortunately. Um, well, fortunately, unfortunately, I'm not sure. He he uh, had an idea later on in his life that if we amplified sounds enough, we could capture uh, sounds from long, long ago. So we could hear the ancients speaking. That was his idea. In the, in the same way that if you have a telescope far enough away, we could see dinosaurs, because the way light travels. Yes, it's an equally ridiculous yes. idea. Um, eh, I don't know. Maybe a little bit less ridiculous, but but on that kind of scale, mm. because sounds, of course, disappear very soon after. Uh, they, they dissipate very soon after. Yeah. Um, so he was recording in the most direct way possible, and uh, he invented something called a phonoautograph. And uh, it was built as an artificial ear. I guess mm-hmm. the the devices that we have for recording are essentially artificial ears, I suppose. But this was really direct representation of an ear. So we had uh, a barrel with uh, something stretched over the end of it. And that was uh, working as kind of an eardrum. Mm. Um, well, as a, a parchment, I think it was a, a membrane of parchment. Yeah. And the barrel was working as kind of an ear canal so you, you talk into the barrel at the end of this membrane there was a pig bristle or sometimes a piece of feather and uh, that would be like an ossicle in mm-hmm. your ear and that would draw a line there was a, a a sheet of parchment that had lamp black on it so soot yeah and this uh would vibrate to make lines on in the soot but like an um, an earthquake detector, I can't remember the word now. Um, yeah, yeah, a bit like, like that. that. Um, well, that's the thing. Not exactly. It's mm. it's such an indirect way to do it because you know this, uh, this this line that was drawn up and down. That's I mean, if you imagine a waveform, mm. if, if I if I look in the an audio file, you open it up in a in an editor, you can see yeah. the waveform. It doesn't look like that. It looks like somebody's drawn lines with a pig bristle <laughs> or a piece of feather on a on a bit of parchment it it does not look like a waveform in any way so it it was just a piece of parchment that represented a sound and for a long long time these just sat there uh, they were studied by some people they're very interesting to look at mm. however nothing we can do with them it took uh, some people about a decade ago they run a website, an excellent website called firstsounds.org if you want to go and look at their work on firstsounds.org. Majority of things we're playing today are from firstsounds.org. They worked on these for years and years until finally they managed to get something out of them. I'm kind of... We we are very early days so far. This is from a a working model. He made a working model, not the actual device he wanted to use. And uh, this working model, uh, he managed to record this. So this is our first ever recording. It is a couple of things. It's a a note played on a guitar, and then it's probably a human voice making a sound. Let's let's have a listen to it and see if we can see if we can hear it. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're all going to be very impressed with this. The first sound that was recorded. All right, there we go. What do you make of that? It's something kind of vaguely craftwork-esque about that. Yeah. Um, the problem at this point, he had no plans to replay this to anyone. So uh, he didn't think of recording a tuning fork yet. Without a tuning fork, we, yeah. we can't really get anything out of it. Um, so uh, we we just have this representation. We, we really don't know um, how to work out the waveform there. They've been trying a few different ones. But yeah, without the tuning fork, it is kind of useless. And I want you, I want to hear a, a something from a couple of years later. So that that first one is is, is a test one from eighteen eighteen fifty three or eighteen fifty four. So that's a, a long, long time ago. Mm. Um, we, we're zooming forward a bit now to eighteen fifty seven. Now this is just before he recorded the tuning fork. So fortunately for this one, we're going to hear it restored a bit. Let's hear the unrestored version first of all. Um, this is a, a cornet playing. Let's hear that. I mean, okay. 
That sounds like me playing a cornet, but not anyone with any um, <laughs> kind of skill, necessarily. I, I, I wouldn't say it necessarily even sounds like a cornet. I think it sounds like something else, maybe. Um, <laughs> I, I'm sure we wouldn't want to comment on what it does exactly sound like. Um, yeah, it's uh, similar to the first one we heard. Mm. Just longer, that's all, because he's managed to re- record more on his on his sheet. However, it was soon after this time that he managed to finally record this uh, tuning fork. So because we've got the tuning fork there, they've managed to uh, put together something a bit uh, more listenable. So this is this is restored based on this tuning fork. Let's have a listen. This is a cornet playing. That is amazing. That is actually a cornet. That is actually a cornet. So that's kind of, we could say, the first instrument mm. instrument that we have that's uh, reasonable to listen to. And um, what was he trying to achieve with this? Was it purely to advance the interests of science? or? Yeah, you know? I mean, as as many Victorian scientists, he's mm. a gentleman scientist. Yes, of He's a professional in another trade, and he was just tinkering around in his spare time, we mm. could say. And if you if you have a look at what he made, you would never guess that it could be made into a recording later. Mm. It's, it really looks like nothing. It's just some some somebody's brushed a piece of paper with a with a feather. That's what it looks <laughs> like. Um, and it was nearly 150 years mm. afterwards that it was finally deciphered. The first recording that they uh, managed to decipher after they put together, they, they got the tuning fork set up, and then they. Uh, they managed to get the frequencies from that so they could see what a tuning fork looked like so they could work out what sound looked like and uh we have uh the first first ever singing that we can hear mm. is from the year 1860 and uh the the tune is called au clair de la lune uh is that familiar to you no no, no. okay <laughs> uh it's all a, the time <laughs> it's a well-known french song uh, of the time and uh, this is this is uh, Edouard Leon Scott de Martinville uh, singing "Au Claire de la Lune." Let's let's have a listen to him. There we go. That's the human voice. What did you think? Does he have a good singing voice? I think it was difficult to tell, in all honesty. It sounded no. quite tremulous. Is that the word I'm looking for? <laughs> yes, um, I know what you but mean. Maybe that was the style at the time. Uh, well, I mean, it's, it's not, not necessarily for us to judge. I don't mm. think we're quite at the stage of being able to judge uh, performance, unfortunately. Mm. Uh, we'd like to be able to. But, uh, yeah, as it stands, um, we're, we're kind of still in the era of... Uh, being able to recognise it as a human voice is the, <laughs> it's, it's is the main help. thing, main thing right yeah. now. So yeah, it, it's like I say, it's a hundred and hundred and fifty years, mm-hmm. one hundred and forty-nine years before they managed to restore this, and it was released to the media. Yeah, about ten years ago, it made the news in a kind of strange way. What happened was it was a, it was an item on the news. The earliest sound has been discovered. Uh, it was on the Today Show on Radio Four, I believe it was, mm. and uh, Charlotte Green. Uh, the famous Charlotte Green was uh, presenting the news, and uh, while while she was playing it, one of the guests in the studio said that it sounded like uh, a wasp trapped in a bottle, <laughs> and she had a giggling fit. So we, we're going to listen to Charlotte Green having a giggling fit now. American historians have discovered what they think is the earliest recording of the human voice, made on a device which scratched sound waves onto paper blackened by smoke. It was made in 1860, 17 years before Thomas Edison first demonstrated the gramophone, and featured an excerpt from a French song, Au Claire de la Lune. The the award-winning screenwriter Abby Mann has died at the age of 80. He won an Academy Award in 1961 for Judgment at Nuremberg. Abby, excuse me, sorry. Abby Mann also won several Emmys, including, including one in 1973 for a, f- 
for a film which featured a police... <laughs> a police detective called... <laughs> Okay, that's a good clip, isn't it? Well, uh, <laughs> still amusing, 150 years after. Yeah, yeah, it's quite something. Um, it it does it does sound like a wasp trapped in the bottle. It, it, is it true. does. It does have that kind of resonance to it. The the thing is, did you notice a bit of a difference there? It sounded a bit different this time. It was a bit clearer, I think. Um, the sense I got possibly, possibly. Mm. The the difference is that it was higher pitched. And, oh yes, um, because they hadn't quite worked out the frequency. They thought it was a little girl singing the song, mm. and then they realised no, it should be pitched lower, and uh, it was the man himself uh, singing it. As well, as far as they know, as far as they know. <laughs> so, um, 1860. Shall we talk a bit about 1860? Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah, 1860 is a is a uh, well, it's a turbulent year, as I'm sure you all know. Abraham Lincoln is elected. President of the United States in 1860, oh. uh, defeating three other candidates whose names I'm not going to list because I always get them wrong. But he's the first US president elected using only votes in the North, no votes in the South happen. Oh. And America falls into disunion less than a year later uh, over slavery. Uh, Abraham Lincoln being the first Republican president, um, the Progressive Party at the time, as funny as it seems to be now, oh. uh, elected on a explicitly anti-slavery Plank wanted to limit slavery and ultimately abolish it, and the Union fell apart. In the United Kingdom, uh, Queen Victoria is uh, queen. Prince Albert is, is in his last year of life. He uh, mm. dies in 1861 after visiting Prince Edward uh, in Cambridge, who was spending not enough time studying and, and far too much time carousing with the, um, the ladies of Cambridge. Mm. Um, Little has changed. Uh, Little well, has changed. well, quite. Um, <laughs> So yeah, that's going on in England. England is currently fighting the Opium Wars. I believe with China. Um, basically, we're trying to sell the Chinese loads of drugs because then they're less likely to oppose European powers' oh. control of China. Not our not our finest moments. Not our finest moments. I think most people would agree um, about that. No. Interestingly enough, it also sees the last bare-knuckled fight in the United Kingdom. Tom says an Englishman fights John C. Heaton, a uh, American, uh, and in true boxing fashion the fight is broken up by the police after uh, crowds get riotous um, we don't know who won sadly oh, the police presumably yeah, well presumably mm-hmm. um, hmm. let's see what else uh, and at the time the UK is producing 20% of the entire world's industrial goods so mm. I think if Boris Johnson is harking back to a time it is then wow that is a, yeah. a lot of goods yeah. we're producing at that time not not great working conditions as we, we all no. may be aware I believe there was a there was a man in England who was not impressed with the working conditions of industrial England. Yes, Karl Marx, mm. uh, people forget, moved to England. He felt England would be the place where we had our first socialist revolution. Mm. And he was uh, he had just finished he just finished writing his histories of France. He's writing a history of Napoleon the Second with his Napoleon the Third, please excuse me. Yes, he's living in England. Sadly, we have no recordings of him. As far as no, I'm aware. No, no. Though interestingly enough, William Gladstone, who was Chancellor at the time, was one of the first politicians we do have a recording of. Yeah, we do have that. It's not not one we'll cover today. Unfortunately, no, alas. But, uh, yeah, we will get to that a bit later. Mm. Oh, so um, yeah, Gladstone is Gladstone Prime Minister at this point. Gladstone is Chancellor, Chancellor He's Exchequer Chancellor. at this point. He has produced his first budget this year in 1860, mm-hmm. calling for the permanence of income tax established uh, 15, 20 years earlier mm. um, by Sir Robert Peel. So. Oh, you have, okay. You have him to thank for that. So Robert Peel of the of the Peelers. Yes, of the Peelites. Yeah. Okay. So eighteen sixty. Um, how about uh, so this uh, Edward Leon Scott de Martinville? He's uh, in France, of course. Yeah. Uh, it's quite a turbulent time in France as well, I believe. Yes. Napoleon the Third has established himself as Emperor of the French. He's uh-huh. Napoleon the Third because he is the nephew of Napoleon the First and recognizes Napoleon's son as the second Emperor of the French. Right. He is first of all. Uh, elected president of France in 1848, which is not, incidentally, the date when Les Mis is set. Les Mis is set six years earlier. Uh-huh. Um, but basically, France has another revolution, gets rid of their monarch, appoints a president, Napoleon III, who then decides he'd rather be emperor. And he's the subject of Karl Marx's second most famous uh, axiom. History is ver- always repeats itself, first as tragedy, then as farce. Uh-huh. Um, but a very, very rich time in France in terms of literature and music we have Victor Hugo mm-hmm. writing at this point okay. and the first recordings by a Frenchman yeah we do we do and uh, in, in Paris the the, uh, the streets are due to be knocked down for those wide boulevards they're going to build through there 
quite soon afterwards. And uh, mm. yeah, this is the time. Uh, it's a, a little bit obscure, but for for me, this is the Rugon Macart uh, era. It's uh, Emil Zola's epic series of novels. Mm. It's set during this time and uh, mm. it follows uh, two sides of a family through these years. So it's uh, especially fascinating for me to get a window into the actual time these novels mm. are set. Okay, so let's go back to our hero, yeah. uh, Edward Leon Scott and Martinville. We're mm. going to hear a, a couple of other things he's recorded. Some brief, brief sounds. This is uh, it's a, a vocal solo. It's called Vole Petit Abiel. It's uh, somebody singing in the shower. It sounds a bit like, um, but you, you can kind of imagine he's, yeah. he's there. He's watching it vibrate, and he's making more and more strange vibrations in order to make it vibrate more. He also be, seems to be suffering from not being able to stay at a same distance away from the uh, recording implements. Oh yes, yeah. The, the volume is it goes vo- wildly up and down, and uh, he's he's turning this by hand, which is mm. a, another issue because he's not turning it at the same speed all the time. So um, it's quite a job for them to have recovered this. Mm. Uh, you can hear his entire discography. There's a, some some useful person on YouTube has uploaded his entire six minutes discography. Um, we're, we're just hearing a few mm. items from it <laughs> yeah. right now, so uh, it is quite a listen for for six or seven minutes if you want to hear all of that. Let's hear um, one more thing. This is an excerpt from uh, Othello, a, a translation of Othello, uh, being performed presumably by himself as well. Uh, okay, not not hugely impressive either. I'm sure you agree. It's quite interesting though that he's performing in a translation of an English, you know, play. I mean, I don't know many mm-hmm. English people who could perform a translation of a French play. Uh, true. Well, you did mention Les Mis. Is that is that a French Le, originally? Les Mis is written by Victor Hugo. Yes. Yeah. And it, so does he? It's going to ask. Does he record? Is it? A, do we get any insight into the kind of things French people would listen to? Do we get a? Is this a very elite mm. set in, of stuff he's recording? In or? a sense, we have uh, some of the pop. He's he's humming and singing some of the popular airs. You yeah. Know? So that's his. That's as as good as it gets, I'm afraid. Mm. We we don't have that much of an insight from these, but yeah. we, we we can hear sounds. Yes, from the 1860s. That's the main thing, that as is, far as it I'm is absolutely concerned. fascinating. I do realise this is a bit of a, a difficult show <laughs> to start with, <laughs> but we we have to start at the start, and uh, in order to relieve things a bit, more like we'd like to hear perhaps. Uh, so this is a track we could say a a, a piece first debuted in 1860. Just as a bit of a light relief, is a bit of a list. Um, it's not not a recording from 1860, obviously, uh, but it's uh, something a bit more listenable for a few minutes. Should we listen to a bit of list yeah. for a, a, a couple of minutes? <laughs> Thank you. 
Okay, so that's a bit of list for you. Here's the first Mephisto waltz, as uh, recorded by Andre Laplante. A little bit more listenable mm. than what we've heard so far. <laughs> um, something we can uh, maybe appreciate now um, without having to stretch our imagination too much. Um, but let's delve back into history again. Uh, these experiments really didn't come to much. Uh, he never had any concept of repeating these and trying to replay them. So what happened was that uh, he just kind of uh, recorded a few more and then set them aside. He continued doing these for maybe about 10 years. So uh, that was it for that. And uh, what was the first recording that we have? Uh, Alexander Graham Bell, wasn't it? Uh, well, maybe. I think the famous one we're thinking of is uh, Thomas Edison. Oh. So I, I think there might be people saying, oh, yeah, Thomas Edison. Let's, let's have a listen yeah. to that recording. Uh, let's, let's hear that now. Mary had a little lamb, its fleece was white as snow, and everywhere that Mary went, the lamb was sure to go. Now, uh, I'm, I'm not sure if you've heard that before. Have you heard that no, before? I haven't. His accent is intriguing. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, Americans at the turn of the century uh, do have a, an old accent, Mark mm. Twain kind of accent um yeah so uh this is a, a very famous recording that many people have heard uh unfortunately this is not the first recording this is from uh a, a long time later 1927 actually really that's right this is a uh, from an experimental video recording with sound <laughs> that oh. he made it's uh on the anniversary of him making his first recording he was uh trying to do it again and showing how he did it and apparently this is the first thing he recorded but we don't know the problem is as as much as things were not made to be played back mm. um this first recordings were made to be played back once ah and once only it was a drum with a sheet of tin foil wrapped around it oh i see the difficulty of playing that back more than once well they they they, they cut a line in the tin foil and uh, then they could play it back and then they would take off the tinfoil and wrap a new piece around to record something else. So we have no idea. Uh, we, we, d- we don't have a recording of him saying Mary had a little lamb. Uh, that that's uh, The original recording mm. is, is long lost. We do have one recovered piece of tinfoil that he managed to put together. So shall we, shall we have a listen to that? Yes, let's. Uh, that is a, a little strange. Bear with me. This, this is what it sounds like. Bear in mind, this is a scrap of tinfoil with lines on it that they've managed to place together. Again, amazing scientific job done in uh, managing to make this uh, in any way listenable. So one thing that you you may have noticed there is that you did hear Mary had a little lamb. Yes, I you did. did hear it. However, it's not Thomas Edison. We believe it's uh, somebody else. Do we know who? Um, it's not entirely clear, but it's it's not Thomas Edison, unfortunately. So we we can't say that's the original recording of his voice. I'm not sure why they loved Mary had a little lamb quite so much. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a fine um, hmm. Hmm. line. So do we know? What was Edison's purpose in recording? Is this still very much the man of science, or are we moving towards thinking maybe at some point I'd like to play this back for someone else? Uh, it, it was intended to be played back. For, for Edison, his purpose in making these things, he wanted it to be played back, but for what purpose is a, is a good question. Mm. Um, the first idea he had, he, he made a list of different uses it had, and music was just right down the bottom of the list. Mm. Uh, the first most important use was for businessmen to dictate letters. That was the main thing he thought it would be used for. And indeed, some of the earliest recordings, we have tedious business letters being read out because he thought that was the thing people would be interested in. So a very early voice message, basically, is what we're getting. Yeah. Um, and I do believe that uh, 
cylinders. So these these are cylinders we're talking about here. And、mm-hmm. um, people will say wax cylinders.、Um, wax wasn't really used. Many different materials were used. Right at the start here, we're talking about tin foil. Later on, the main ones that were sold at、uh, their soap, metallic soap, metallic soap,、from. metallic soap. So you can imagine you've got some dry soap and you're scratching、mm. a line in it. Yeah.、Um, but imagine it's more hard and metallic than that. That's that's what a wax cylinder was really. And who'd be buying these? Is it the general American public elites? For,、uh, for now, nobody. Nobody. Is Nobody's buying, buying them. In fact, they're, they're not even being made at this point. At this point,、uh, they're experimenting with cylinders. These are still cylinders right now, and later on, they're going to be、uh, discs. They're going to、mm-hmm. be using. Let's hear one of the test recordings they made. I'm going to play this, and I'd like you to、uh, try and guess what you think it is. Listeners, he cannot see the screen here, so we're going to try and、uh, quiz him. There's, there's no way he's going to guess it. Basically, no way any of you will guess it unless you know. But let, let's hear one of the first ever recordings they made. Sounds sort of spooky. Yeah, it sounds a bit Dorothy and Toto and Oz. Yeah.、Kind of. So, what do you reckon this could be? I I have absolutely no idea. I'm going <laughs> to guess. Um, it's uh the sound of a is it a train? It's a train. No. How did you guess? Well, already. That was a train. That was the、uh, Metropolitan Railroad. Uh, which I believe is a, a elevated railway line that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, there were four originally in Manhattan. Oh, I'm okay. The, if I'm thinking of the same one. Oh, okay. Well, so yeah, it's a it's a it's a railway line that's been taken down. But we have a recording of it、uh, going past the window. You, you can't really get much from that, obviously. No.、Um, so Edison was was working around these inventions. Edison was、uh, maybe too much has been said about Edison. He's been called the greatest inventor of all time. He's got quite a mixed reputation recently. People have been kind of、uh, talking about his、uh, positives and negatives quite a bit. On the positive side, he is re- responsible for record number of patents. How many of them he actually invented? It's、uh, probably quite a lot less. He had a studio full of inventors inventing things. He was the initial ideas guy. People would come to him with different things. He didn't really do much of the day-to-day business of inventing. He was a、uh, I guess a businessman, the、How、Alan we... Sugar of、uh... the the Alan Sugar, but a little bit more successful perhaps than Alan Sugar. He did a couple of things that、uh, were not so not so positive later in his career that have been spoken about quite a lot.、Uh, electrocuting an elephant to prove that alternating current was more dangerous than direct current was a、uh... yes, his bizarre rivalry with Nikola Tesla. Yeah, yes, yeah,、um... quite a lot of that. Also.、Uh, I don't know. People think he invented the light bulb. That's a quite a long story. We maybe、mm. don't, shouldn't go into. Another thing he gets credit for and shouldn't maybe. He should get credit for the、uh, phonograph, actually. So we、oh. we should talk about that one. This is maybe the thing he can most say that he invented and no one else was responsible for because、uh, it does seem to have been his original idea. However, once the electric light started taking off, he didn't really bother with it much more. There were other people at the same time. Who had kind of the same idea? One in particular. It's it's quite an odd story. There was a man called Frank Lambert, and、uh, he decided to make a talking clock. It was the the first time that there was a, a recorded cylinder that was replayable on the same device, and、uh, it can still be played now. It never got past the initial experiment phase, but he did record his voice counting down the hours. And if you listen to this, it's very clear. Let, let, let's have a listen to Frank Lambert counting the hours for his、uh, talking clock. I'm beginning to see why it didn't sell very well. Well, it it never got to the <laughs> the stage of being sold.、Uh, there's a 
a talking doll from a bit later, which uh, if you if you Google Edison talking doll, it is the, the creepiest thing. <laughs> Sounds it. Yeah, that is the, the sound is creepy. The mm. doll is creepy. It is a horrible thing that you would never buy for a child. Um, it is interesting that they seem commercialization seems to finally be creeping into sound, even if not very successfully at this point. Yeah, it's we're still a good decade away from commercial recordings, mm. even still. So he's he's kind of given up. On the sound recording, uh, Edison himself has get kind of given up at this stage, and he's handed it over to some friends, some people who work for him in uh, associated places. You're probably familiar with uh, Alexander Graham Bell. I have, yeah. Um, you might be familiar with his cousin Chichester Bell. No, probably not. It's a great uh, name, though. Chichester Bell, uh, yeah, so he's uh, one of the people. And uh, there's another guy, Charles Summer Tainter. They, they were working at, at Bell Labs in, in vague connection with Edison, trying to find best materials on which to record things. So that we have various recordings from the 1880s, uh, well, through the 1880s, 1881, 1883, 1884, this kind of time. So let's uh, let's hear a few of these recordings. Once again, these are not, not the most amazing things to listen to, but you can see, you can hear they're experimenting with different forms, different. Well, some of these are discs. Most of these are discs now, rather than cylinders, and uh, we're, we're kind of moving towards something being listenable. So, uh, yeah, let, let's let's hear a few of those. Get them out of the way. We can say. <laughs> so this is a an 1881 recording uh, at Volta Laboratories uh, on an Edison phonograph. Um, let's see how much you can make out of it really Uh, let's go with that one okay so what do you make of that um (laughs) <laughs> Who had the cartoon chicken in as well? Yeah, that's a strange noise. That's a trilling. They're trilling R's. Um, oh, of course. Yeah. Um, if you trill an R, it makes a nice vibration on your wave. It, mm. it kind of goes up and down quite a lot. And yeah. when they're recording at this point, what are they recording with? Is it still cylinders or how far have we moved away from the uh, feather on the end of a... That last one, I believe, is a cylinder. That's mm. a good question. I know, I know the rest of these are discs, but that one, I believe, might be a cylinder. Mm. They're trying lots of different materials. And if you have a look on firstsounds.org, where most of these things come from today, uh, you can have a look at pictures of all these different things. Um, and it is quite, quite amazing how they've managed to get sounds out of... Uh, a rusty piece of metal, which is what most of them are. There's one made out of China. They're just trying every China. different material. Indeed. There's, yeah, there's, there's How do you record on China? Well, you, anything you can scratch. Oh, I see. Anything you can scratch lines into. No yeah. one had the idea to have playable windows then. Playable windows. That's an interesting idea. Okay, anyway. <laughs> uh, glass <laughs> records. Business idea for you somewhere. There are, there are glass records. Uh, I believe that has been tried at some point. I don't think that would be very good for your stylus, though. No. Okay, this is, this is a guy, Charles Summer Tainter, and this is a lateral electroplated disc. Uh, let, let's see what Mr. Charles Summer Tainter has recorded in his, uh, in his lateral electroplated disc there. Yeah, again with the trilling. Yeah, they seem to be fixated on it at this point. But I suppose they are still gentlemen of leisure, aren't they? So I suppose mm. this is what they would. Yeah, yeah. They seem, as you were saying, they seem to be more interested in the picture it's painting on the um, discs at this point. Discs than the yeah, yeah, they sound just... they're creating. Yeah, that's what they're trying to see. But yeah, you can hear the sound is uh, more decipherable now. Yes, it's it's sounding like a sound that you can hear. Do you want to hear some speech? Let's hear somebody yeah, talking. Yeah, let's hear someone talking. Let's let's see if you know this is a. What the speech is. Um, it's a little bit less clear than the last one, unfortunately, but maybe you can make it out. It's a, something famous. Oh, of course you yes, know of course, that is, that's yeah. Hamlet, to be or not to be. Yeah, that's uh, the first Hamlet speech recorded. Well, the first Shakespeare recorded in English. Mm. Yeah, um, 
as a as a test recording you can kind of hear what he's doing there so yeah we're getting speech now we're getting people able to record speech these are still kind of being neglected mostly by by edison himself um just various people at volta labs coming back to them Mm. from time to time um so the earliest the earliest history we have is in france and then we're Mm. going over to the usa next time we're going to come over to the UK. The oh. majority of uh, 1888 is in the UK. So, Oh, well, there we are. Then. Yeah, we have uh, some local recordings for you. Yeah, but that's uh, next time, unfortunately. Let's hear some very clear speech. You want to say one word to be recorded for all time. Which, which word are you going to say? Is it a swear word? It's not a swear word. It's a, the one word he chose to be recorded and uh, echoed down the ages is the, the following. Now, there we go. That is uh, Chichester Bell saying barometer. Of course. Because uh, everyone loves barometers. They're very useful. He's a Weather Girls fan, clearly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, ahead of his time in that sense, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, why did he say barometer over and over again? We don't know. But he did. And that's the important thing. This is a an interesting one. Um, I, I'm, I'm not going to say too much about this, but this is... Again, they're going to say Mary had a little lamb. Oh, um, obsessed are, with this, aren't they? Fixated with Mary had a little lamb for some reason. Is this something um, everyone knew, or uh, it's a it's a popular nursery rhyme, I suppose. Towards the end of this, you'll hear something goes wrong with the recording, evidently, and the the man making the recording is quite annoyed. So it's quite a funny recording if you listen carefully. Um, yeah, see what you make of it. It is quite a bizarre early recording. We're in the year 1885. It's March the 11th, 1885. And this is a, another recording from uh, Volta Labs. Okay. Did I detect an expletive towards the end there? Well, it's a, it's an expletive, but it's a completely indecipherable expletive. Oh. But you you can imagine you, you can, can imagine a... what the expletive was. Is that our first recorded expletive? Oh, or? of course. Yeah, that's that's the first recorded rude word. No. Fortunately, not the first decipherable expletive. So I'm sure it's suitable for family listening. Yeah. This year we've covered 1840s, we've covered the 1860s, we've covered the 1870s, and now we're on to the 1880s. And we're going to hear a celebrity. This is the first recording of somebody you've heard of. Let me take a guess. Is it... Oh, it's got to be an American, surely. It's not an American. It's a Scotsman, although he was adopted American. He did eventually move to America and take American nationality. Oh, I've got no idea who that is. Uh, Alexander Graham Bell. Oh, of course. of course. He was hanging around Volta Labs. It was his, his thing. It doesn't take long to hear it. Let's hear him. You are my husband. Alexander Graham Bell. quite clear about that. Yeah, that is fascinating, though. In just, you know, 20 short years, we've managed to hmm. move from... to um... Yeah. I'd, I'd like there have been more progress that would have been better yes um i'd like to hear this there's so much stuff going on in music at this point mm. in america there's a american songbook is being written there's the stephen foster's songs there's uh the height of the minstrel shows which is a, a bit of a mixed thing we've got the the roots of blues and jazz happening in the south of the usa mm. we've got um which would be amazing to hear in europe we have of course it's the heyday of the romantic era of classical music so um, why are people so slow to record music? It seems like no one had the idea that we might want to hear it. It's it's very point. hard to do. It's a, mm. quite amazing that they managed to do it so early. I would say I think it's more of a more of a job than photography. Photography has been around a little while now. Um, moving pictures are being invented around the same time. We, the first ever film was being made now in Leeds. A mm. uh, Frenchman again. A French man was was, uh, making some short clips in Leeds at this point, a a tiny bit later than this. So uh, this is the the boom of uh, us being able to have actual representations of of what happened that are not mediated. Sort of. Original sound recordings, not not 
reconstructions, we've got player pianos. Player pianos is, is recording of somebody playing. Um, at this stage, player pianos are still in their infancy, though, and very, very basic. Uh, we have fairground organs. Fairground organs that were built at the time <laughs> could presumably be playing the same songs that were programmed in in the same way. Um, I have not been able to find any examples of that, but, <laughs> but in theory... It's conceivable. In theory, that would be okay. One thing that I didn't allow, I, I was umming and ahhing over this for a long time, is music boxes. What do you think? Should I have included music boxes? That's a good question. Mm. Um, what was your rationale for not including them? Um, it just sounds wrong next to all the other things. Let, let's, let's hear a bit of a music box playing and see what you think. So this is a 1886 music box. And uh, yeah, the original airs on this music box. So it's very pleasant, isn't it? Yes, it is very pleasant. Yeah. Is this a modern recording of what it sounds like? Um. Yes, of course. Yeah. They've they've got a music box from that year, and they've they've recorded it now. I don't think it would work with the early recordings. Is the way I'm no. going to put it. No. 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 I'm with you on that. Which is fair enough, you know. Um. Okay. So let's uh, let let let's fade out the music box. That's an 1886 Jaco music box. Um, and some of the music boxes are very sophisticated indeed. Um, if you have a look at those, um, there's some good recordings on YouTube of original music boxes, like play many different sounds at the same time. Some of them astounding. I've been James. And I've been Sean. And uh, we've been listening to sounds from uh, more than 150 years ago. And uh, we're going to end with something a bit more listenable. This is going to be. Uh, Tchaikovsky's 1812 Overture. What's what's that about? So the 1812 Overture, um, was right, as the word says, um, about 1812, about the Russian defeat of Napoleon's Grand Army when he foolishly invaded Russia in winter mm. and had to beat a hasty retreat, basically. A mm. uh, lesson people have been learning ever since. Yeah, have it um, But it's a grand Russian patriotic victory. And, of course, the Russians in the mid-1880s are struggling with... Uh, enfranchising the serfs um, and all the rest of it so they need something good to bring the nation together again and this is Tchaikovsky's contribution to that ah, okay and uh, it's uh, one of the few recordings of uh, orchestral pieces to feature live cannons so we all have to appreciate that of course there should be more of that I think thank you for joining us today and we'll close on this the 1812 the, the close of the 1812 overture
thanks for listening to the Centuries of Sound radio podcast. For full soundscape mixes, come to centuriesofsound.com and to support the show, please come to patreon.com slash centuriesofsound where you can get a host of bonus content for just $5 per month. Or just tell a friend or relative who might be interested. Thanks for listening.